1: guest the podcast is David Wayne. This is a reboot. It's Memorial Day. hope everybody's having a fantastic Memorial Day weekend so far and uh, definitely love and respect to all the people that uh, gave their lives for this country that allowed us to have this day to remember them. So I hope everybody's remembering the reason we have off. Anybody who served or lost people serving, I definitely thoughts and prayers and uh, enjoy your time with your family barbecue and do whatever you need to do today take the day off enjoy yourselves but i wanted to uh put an episode out today uh david wayne like this was a guy i gotta have back on if you're not familiar with him he is a legend in comedy and just entertainment if you follow his instagram and all this stuff he does like magic tricks he's got a band now that he's been playing with like Reno and weird al and he wrote wet hot american summer he was one of the main writers on mtv's the state he's done um I mean, countless stuff that you could you could look up that he's been behind. Even if you don't know his face, you'll know his works for sure. But uh, I've been a big fan of him and the whole cast forever. There was a little run there that we had almost a whole cast. I still got to get a couple more on. I think I need two more. And then we've had the whole state cast. So if you want to go back and listen to some of the past episodes with like Joe LaTrulio and Kerry kitty silver and Michael Ian Black and Kevin Allison and... That whole group over there, Marino, um, definitely awesome people and amazing experience to me. I grew up on that show and uh, I love them and I still love all the stuff that they do from What Hot American Summer to, um, you know, Reno 911, a lot of stuff. You see a lot of these guys on today. Um, David Wayne definitely is a master behind all that stuff. So definitely check him out. So this episode was from a while ago. Yeah. I, it's funny when you look back, you just realize how your like equipment isn't as good and you just aren't as good as a host. And I remember this episode, I was in a hotel for some reason somewhere. I don't remember what happened, but I had to like set up a podcast studio hotel and things like weren't working. And when he logged on, I was like very flustered. So I'd like to do it again and be a little bit more cool than I was with it. But uh it was just a thrill for me. So quality is not the best. And the uh, you know, when you look back at some of the old interviews, you realize how much better you are doing now. So I guess that that's a testament to, but he seemed to have fun. I'm going to quote him. He said, it's the best real estate podcast he has ever been on. But uh, David Wayne is a huge star and a big deal and a uh, brilliant artist and entertainer. And uh, again, big fan of his for a very long time. Very appreciative that he came on the podcast. I'd love to have him on again. Check the show notes for all the ways to uh, follow his stuff, watch his stuff, support all the stuff him and all the people from that show are doing today. It's pretty amazing stuff. So I uh, hope you guys are checking out. And again, nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S for all the ways to connect with me, follow me, listen to this podcast, the way that we get amazing celebrities like David Wayne, which is kind of crazy to say that I had him on here, but uh, David Wayne comes on is by just, you guys subscribing to the show. So nicknicknick.com slash links, l a n k s You will be able to see the show everywhere you watch and listen. So please subscribe. And also nicknicknick.com slash links, l a You'll be able to follow us on social media everywhere from Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, to YouTube. So please, as I post Clips from these episodes, just share, like, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Just interact with us, engage with us on social media. It really helps. If you haven't been able to see my stuff popping up, I post clips all the time. And I spend a lot of time doing them. I think that they're really good quality clips with good information. They're not just, uh, you know some AI bot just snipping stuff to put out there. We put a lot of time and thought into exactly what goes out there. So search me if you have not through uh, any of those links on nicknake.com slash links, and I should stop popping up in your feeds again. But the whole thing is I want to do real estate together. So remember, either DM me directly, the words real estate, so I know what it's about, and I can make sure I can filter my assistant, sends them off to me, or just text me directly at 516-540-5733, 516 Five four zero five seven three three text the word real estate and we can discuss you buying properties from me, selling properties to me, or us partnering on some level and having that conversation of where you fit in and how we can work together. And of course, com slash bigger pockets for your free checklist on all the ways to bring value to your buyers as a real estate agent, wholesaler, or broker. So thank you, David Wayne medical police, children, all kinds of stuff. I go, the list goes on and on. But check him out if you don't know who it is. You definitely have watched a bunch of his stuff, and he's definitely made you laugh and shows you a good time. So thank you for the years of entertainment. Thank you for listening to the 8 Game Podcast. Reboot episode. This is not a new episode. This is a re-release that I thought was great, and I wanted to put back out there. Thank you, David Wayne. Thank you, you guys. Fresh new episodes coming next week, and for many, many weeks after, with some amazing guests. We've recorded a ton of episodes with some incredible people. I actually booked all the way through September with just amazing guests and a lot of them have already been shot. So I'm excited about where it's going. Thank you so much for all the support. A Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. All right, my guest today
2: on the A Game Podcast is Mr. David Wayne. David is one of the original cast members and founders of MTV's The State. He's on Wet Hot American Summer, Role Models. He was the writer of Wayney Days, Wanderlust, Stella, The Ten, winner of three Primetime Emmys. He's also a musician. You can see him on Instagram doing all types of covers. The director of A Futile and Stupid Gesture, as well as I recently found out you are a semi-amateur kind of professional practicing magician. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) How's everything going with you? I appreciate you coming on today.
0: I'm an obsessed hobbyist, I guess, because I'm not really a musician either, but I, I, I try to learn and do new things all the time. It makes me feel like I'm still alive.
2: I, I like the creative process. You can see the, I know you're behind the scenes on a lot of stuff like that too and your brain's doing that, but it's really cool to watch you do that stuff and uh, especially a lot of the, the the drawings that you've been doing when they pop out of the page and it's like the real hand and the real Eiffel Tower. That's yeah. awesome.
0: I just love, I like, I've always liked to play with gadgets and they keep inventing new ones and so I just always want to learn and feel like I'm in touch.
2: <laughs> what is your take on a lot of the stuff that they're doing on social media with the, um like you said, a lot of those tools, like for instance, TikTok, when that came out, I was looking at it and I was like, I don't really get it. It's just people basically videoing a one minute karaoke. But now that I'm watching some of my nieces and nephews and the creative stuff that people are doing on there is absolutely, when they're doing it right, it's really impressive. I think a lot of really are pushing lines. the
0: boundaries. Yeah, it encourages real imagination. And I remember, you know, when I was 10, 12 years old, I didn't have anywhere to show it, but I was always experimenting with whatever tools I had. And we had a little primitive VHS video camera, and I was always trying to think of, oh, if I turn it upside down, and or I slice this, whatever. And now you can do so much. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. There's like a bit of a meritocracy in that. Um, although there's a, lot of, you know, there's a lot of flip side to the social media thing. I, I just listened to this uh, New York Times podcast, Rabbit Hole, which was absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend. I'll
2: check it out for sure. Um, So I want to jump into uh, a few of the different things. Obviously, I want to talk about the state. I am a huge fan of the state. I have been for a very long time. I've uh, recently interviewed a lot of the cast members on there. But um, you have been a big force behind that. And a lot of my favorite shows and a lot of my favorite sketches all have you behind it. So um, I'm obviously nervous. So when you first came on, I was like, don't screw up. And I'm like looking at the notes and tripping over my words. I think you're
0: doing great so far.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I was going to say, I apologize for the rough start. I actually, um, I'm usually in New York or Chicago, but I had a, a bit of a real estate emergency. So I jumped in the car and now I'm kind of close to your hometown. So I'm calling, or, uh, zooming from Youngstown, Ohio, from a random hotel room that I just popped into. So I How didn't get to shave anything then. So you're, you you're Shaker Heights, all right? See, We're like twins, but I, I wanted to be beautiful for David Wayne and I didn't get to do it, but made it well, work. I'm, glad, I, I'm <laughs> glad you're
0: in my home state. It makes me all the more comfortable.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's Shaker Heights, right?
0: Shaker Heights, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland, yeah.
2: Cool, yeah. You know, that's a, a sleeper town. I, I spent some time in Cleveland over the last couple of years, and we went to Alarity's Comedy Club, and sure. uh, went to a bunch of nice restaurants out there, I went to the All-Star Game, and people that don't know, I mean, it's a great energy in that town.
0: Yeah, I've always thought that the vibe of Cleveland, because everyone who's from there is really patriotic about Cleveland, and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool place. Uh, I, I'm happy to have been from there, and in some other alternate life, I might go back and live there, but probably not in my real current life. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, starting with the state, you know, uh, I was doing some research on, I was trying
2: to time out where a lot of these shows came from. And I think you guys were one of the first, maybe definitely first five, but maybe even when the second or third show that was actually a sketch show that came out on MTV, I think Just I think Say Julie first. might've been the first, right? Which one? I think Just Say Julie and then maybe the Ben Stiller show were the only ones that might've been... But Ben Stiller, I don't think was
0: MTV, was it? Maybe it was. But anyway, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I know we were one of the very first shows to do any sort of production at MTV. Um, most of the shows they had were news-based or, you know, and so they sent us out with MTV news crews to shoot our sketches. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was definitely new ground. And most of the people who were working there at the time were um, young and just as uninformed about the world as we were. And so it was kind of interesting time. I think it's funny that
2: people really don't understand that when MTV came out, when you had your show on, it was a completely different thing. It used to be 24 hours of music videos. Right. And every now and then they take that like top of the hour break with like Kurt Loder or Tabitha Soren for the news break. But now all it is, is shows. So at that time, was it, was it hard to have that pitch? Did they find you? Did you guys find them? Because that was very different than what they were doing at that time.
0: It was a serendipitous connection because I had a hometown friend from Shaker Heights who was much older than me, who had dated my sister years before. He was my one connection to showbiz in New York, and he had been working as a freelance producer at MTV. So I was interning there before, while we were doing the state in college, I was interning at MTV and doing random other jobs, PA jobs, writing jobs. And so they were developing this show called You Wrote It, You Watch It where viewers would write in with funny stories about their lives and then we would act them out. And I pitched myself as a director, but brought along with me the entire other 10 people in the state. And we ended up getting hired as a group of 11 to make segments for this show. You wrote it, you watch it. And they were sufficiently impressed with that to give us the chance to develop a pilot of our own. But at the time, as you said, it was mostly music videos. And then little by little, they started adding these shows. Um, And then that's, that's how we got in there.
2: That's cool. Now, I know the the sketches that you guys were doing hold up so good today. And I know I was telling a couple of your other cast members. Some that of them. Some of them. I, I still love them, though, man. I just put them on replay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's obviously some things don't hold up TV-wise, but um, I I watch The State and Married with Children all the time, and I get just as much – I probably get even more of a kick out of it now because I understand a lot of the jokes and the quick things in there better than I did when I was maybe a little bit younger. Right, but right. I know you have kids that are probably around the age – that I was when I was watching that. And what are they, are they seeing this, this the state? Do you let them watch they that? Did like
0: the, I did show them the state at one point and they really liked it. I, I realized a lot of my work, the state and also our Comedy Central show, Stella, is surprisingly very, kids love it. You know, I mean, some of the, some of the jokes are not appropriate, but for the <laughs> most part, it's like watching a live action cartoon. And I think the kids really get into it. And my kids liked the, our recent show, Medical Police too.
2: That's a great one. That's a great one. You're, you're behind so much stuff. I think it's interesting that um, one of the things that Kim Marino said that I, it just never really occurred to me was he said when somebody would tell them that they were a fan of the state, he would say, oh, that must be one of the five fans that the state has. Not realizing that, you know, I, I was, me and all my friends to this day, just quote the state, we all love it. But when the Zoom with the state came out yeah. and the amount of people that were on there and seeing all this
0: stuff. That was very really eye-opening for us. I was going
2: to say, like, did you realize what a a
0: huge following and how how devoted people really were to that show? I knew that we had, you know, it's still in as far as numbers go for TV shows. It's still a very small number of people that even have heard of it or remember it. But of those people, there's a lot of devotion and a lot of enthusiasm. And I think that's definitely marked most of the things I've done. It's a small but very obsessed following, which I'll happily take. Um, but I don't think we, so that being said, I don't think any of us expected such a response when we did that live zoom show. Uh, and it was a real blast to connect with fans in that way. Was it a long
2: time coming that you guys were trying to get something back on or, and that the timing just worked that
0: good with the quarantine or the the cause? How did that really come to fruition? I mean, we're, you know, we're all still friends. We all still talk all the time. We all still work together all the time in different configurations. And so we're also always talking about what can we do with the state, never stopped. And we've done a few things. We've done some live shows. We've written new material and did it at Sketchfest. We did um, Festival Supreme. Um, and we've talked about and developed over the years, different new TV ideas and movie ideas. But um, you know, organizing the schedules of 11 very busy, successful people is just Gargantuan task, unless there's a quarantine, and so that, yeah, it was <laughs> a moment where we're like, Hey, how about next Wednesday? We do this, we go on Zoom wherever you are, just take a few hours. And so, it was the way to make it work. Did you guys have a, a few rehearsals for that, or did you just jump on and ride it like a bike? More of the latter. I mean, we had some, we had a couple of Zooms where we just talked about what we're going to do, um, and then we had a little sort of a run of the show that we were following, but essentially it was pretty uh, winging it.
2: That's cool. And did you, uh, what, was the, what was the selection process for how you guys narrowed down what sketches was gonna make it?
0: Oh, we just, I mean, it's funny because in the show, when we were doing the show at MTV, we had a very formal process where we voted and had to have, I think, seven out of 11 to move to the next step of the process where we would narrow down, you know, we start with 200 scripts and end up with a 13 per episode. For this one, I think it was a lot more casual. It was all it was more just like, How about we do this? Okay, sure. How about this? You know. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you know, whoever was enthusiastic or around for to say, like, yeah, let's do that. And and, and I think that over twenty whatever years, we've, you know, come to have us an idea of what the most popular remembered sketches are that people talk to us about on the street and stuff.
2: I thought you guys nailed it with the selection and uh especially I I had forgotten about the, the one when you guys are, are interviewing the blonde guy on the yeah. talk show. It's so funny, I was laughing so hard at
0: that. Uh, but, but it brings we, back a lot. We line. actually picked we that one actually, not that it was one that people remember so much, but it, it, it sort of had a different resonance today than it did then. And so we thought it would be interesting to remount that way.
2: See, that's, that's another thing that I, I thought was interesting. I recently talked to um, David Faustino from Married with Children mm. about doing a reunion as well. And the concern was with the way that the times have changed could you do that same humor now and not get in trouble? And for their stuff, a lot of it would have to be changed. Do you feel that you guys would have had to change a lot of the jokes that you were doing then for a little bit of the sensitivity that people have right now? Of
0: course, but I think that the state didn't, it, the, the main fuel for what we were doing, I don't think was something that would be problematic today. I'm sure there were jokes here and there that we wouldn't, we wouldn't choose to do today. Of course, you know, I think that's true of any, almost any comedy. Um, But I can understand, I think with something with Mary with children, it'd be a very different kind of challenge, but I think it would be an interesting one to, you know, get that creative team together and say, okay, what happens to these characters now? And how do we make a show that's relevant for now? I think that's, that's pretty, I would be interested to see that. Well,
2: I like the, what I, I like most about doing this show is initially I wanted to only talk to people that were doing real estate and entrepreneurial stuff. But I started seeing so many similarities between my friends that were in music, acting, business, um, uh, UFC, martial arts. And a lot of it is, is the same type of thing that everything changes. Industries change and you have to adapt with them just the way you're seeing when this COVID thing happened. A lot of people literally became a dinosaur overnight. So I think exactly yeah. like you're saying, that your your comedy, your jokes, your timing, your your everything has to change and be adaptable. And if you're not and you're stuck in, but this is how we do it and that worked. I feel like that's when the world just passes you by and you become a blockbuster video or, or a Toys R Us. And I couldn't it seems agree more like you're doing
0: that. Well, that's why I'm always been glad to be on the creating side of things where I can, you know, the skills that I built up over the years are how to tell a story, you know, how to develop funny, how to be jokes, how to, you know, how to write. And 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 I think those things translate into whatever the next thing might be. Whereas if my skill was how to, you know, edit film on a Steam Beck, then I might be in trouble. So th- we were talking about the stuff that you're doing on- online and I
2: think that you're a true testament to using the technology and the toys that are coming around with the time to keep those creative juices flowing. And I watch you play the drums and you're doing the the Aerosmith thing was amazing. And I'm seeing you do magic tricks. And um, I, w- I was reading up on some of the things you were saying and I heard you on some other podcasts that you were talking about magic. Is that all basically what you do to to relax and shut off? I know you're a creative guy, but what do you do to unplug and take your mind off some of the stresses in life?
0: Yeah, it is. I, I, I have a lot of different hobbies that I use to change my gears in my brain, whether they're more physical, like tennis and yoga and stuff, or more, um, nerdy. Like I spent like two years on the Rubik's cube or (laughs) I spent my entire life working with cards and card magic. And, uh, you know, playing the drums and instruments. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever gotten great at any of them, but I love just sticking around with them, knowing that it, I don't have the stress of having to earn a living doing it. And it's been really fun during the quarantine. I realized that over time I had just played around so much with the drums and then also recording stuff on the computer and how to do video. and And so that all came together when I had time during the quarantine, I just started having friends send in them playing music and putting it all together. And Using all these tricks to make it sound way better than it is, and it's been really fun doing these cover songs the last few weeks few months you look like you're really enjoying it. I love that and when I see that in people that they're having fun, I think it's
2: something I definitely also loved about watching the state is you guys generally look like you were enjoying yourselves and you thought it was funny, like even if nobody else did, you didn't care like you guys were well, getting a kick out of it that is,
0: that's for sure the crux of what I mean when I first I saw the state on stage at NYU before I joined the group they they had I was in. I joined the group like six months after it formed. But when I saw them, I'm like, those guys are having so much fun, and they're including the audience in that. And I want to be part of that. And I feel like that's always been, a you know, a weather vane for me for what makes sense. Like because sometimes you see things where you can tell that it's a deal that you're watching, or people are just going through the motions, or they they don't really care. Or there's no real voice behind it. And I'm always interested in somebody who's Seems invested, you know. It it shows up on screen.
2: I completely agree. I love listening to anybody who's passionate about anything. I don't really, even if it's something I don't understand, just watching somebody be all in and really excited about something gets me excited. I love I love that same thing. So um and my brother has been like that. I know I, I wrote to you about my brother, he's a drummer. Yeah. But, and my whole life, I mean, I remember waking up early to him just drumming early in the morning every day and I'd be hung over and I'd be like, Why well, is he still gonna be drumming? He better do something with it. But he put the time into teaching and learning the scales and all that. And that passion, you start to see that pay off later on in life and translate into all these other things. And when you, I see him making these videos now, and, and his attitude has changed a lot over the years. And now he mentioned to me something about how all the guys that he had as posters in his room when he was growing up are now his friends and he's playing in bands with them. Isn't that but amazing? Yeah, It happened, though, from years and years and years of doing exactly that. And um, I'm, I'm transitioning because one of the things I heard you say about What you loved about the magicians was that you were saying it was really interesting to you to see that when people are doing these magic tricks, what it really comes down to is somebody just put way more time and effort and thought into something than anybody realized.
0: Oh, yeah. That's one of the biggest secrets in magic is, you know, they're like, well, no one would actually go to the trouble of, for example, memorizing every card in the deck in order. Um, There must be some other trick that I don't know. And no, there's not (laughs) in some cases, you know. But isn't that pretty much the
2: the formula for everything? I mean, like you, I think you said the same thing about what you're doing on Instagram is it's not as easy as you just, you turn on the computer, you play the drums and you put it out there. There's all this time and energy and effort. And right. I think most things that people enjoy and most people that are doing something successfully, the average person doesn't realize how much actually goes into that. And I think that's where most people think they want to be an actor or a musician or a drummer or a business guy. And then when they realize so that, it's it's really, you know, not to not to, to go too crazy, but Camarino told a story about flossing and how mm-hmm. um, uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith was like, dude, the key to staying young is to floss. And for like two weeks, he went home and he flossed all day, every day. And then it was a little less. And then a month later, he never did it again. And I feel like if you don't really love something or really have something pushing you, that's exactly what happens as you go. This is a lot of work. I didn't really sign up for a lot of work. I just wanted the reward for that work, but I'm not willing to put it in. And you seem to be somebody who, as far as I can see, doesn't really shy away from any of that because everything you're doing from magic to writing to directing to act, all of those things are, are are pretty high risk and you have to put a lot of time and energy and effort into all of it. And you're very good at
0: all. of them. And well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know that you have to have blinders to do something like this. And I meet a lot of people who want to be actors, for example, and, the, and I, I can just tell when they're not really up for the work that it takes. And when, so, when an actor sits down when an actor just you know, walks on stage and does, or a comedian walks on stage and does a bit, and you're like, wow, that's so!" he just showed up and did that. If I could do that. It's so easy. And it's like, yeah, if you put in the 20 years before of seven <laughs> nights a week to get to that skill level to do that, and then you're still working hard that, that night you know, in ways that you don't even realize. And when I, when I work with great actors, I see them putting in the work. I see them like, putting in the effort, and I, I'm inspired by that. And I, I always I always that story of, an actor who asked a mentor, you know, how do I decide whether I should, you know, pursue acting as my profession? And the answer is by asking me that question, the answer would be no, you should not, because it, it can't be a question for you. So this is
2: all stuff that I I would love. I've been dying to talk to you about this part of it, because you mentioned mentors and and seeing people that are really putting in the extra mile. And one of the things is you're actually a guy who I think gave Bradley Cooper his big break, right? It was the first uh, well, movie.
0: Yes, was, <laughs> we we uh, hired him uh, to be in Wet Hot American Summer, which was his first professional job, I think. Yeah.
2: So you've, um, I mean, you've you've put, I think, Elizabeth Banks, Paul Rudd. Elizabeth
0: Banks also her first movie, uh, and it was Paul Rudd was not his first movie, but one of his first big comedies. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you've given a lot of big actors a lot of uh, a lot of roles, and. I've, I've heard a couple of people ask you, like, what was it? Was there something special? And some of the answers were a little bit scattered, but it was interesting because Bradley Cooper specifically, I heard him mentioned on a couple of other podcasts. And one of the guys was a UFC fighter and he said Bradley Cooper was training at his gym. And somebody uh. said, oh, he's probably showing up late and just there to smile and like have girls look at him. And he was like, no, he's there early. He stays late. He's like, that guy busts his ass from the second he gets in to the second he leaves. And he's like, and to tell you the truth, most of the celebrities that come and train at that gym are the hardest working people at that gym. Yep. And I was like, yeah. Not surprised people, at all. It's it's that worth ethic. I think that any of those guys that are at the top of the food chain, like you're saying, nobody gets there by being lazy and not by like the, the road to success with anything. You know,
0: you see all I the think, highlights when yeah, he gets. I, I mean, I, I'm nothing like that. In certain <laughs> way, like when I see, I used to play squash with Bradley Cooper, and I'm like, Jesus, how do you have such a great body for one thing? And he's like, Well, I wake up and I run, I don't think about it every day, seven days a week, you know. And I'm like, Okay. And then I think he's one of those guys. My brother in law had this thing too, where it's the doctor said, You should stretch 20 minutes a night. He's like, Okay, got it. He's done it since then for 40 years, you know. And uh, I, I've, in seeing Bradley Cooper here and there over the years, I've seen his work ethic is just out of control. It's insane. He, and, you know, you can see it when you see, The movie he directed—it's just there's so much in there, and you know that he's—he's a sponge for information, and then he just explodes with also having a lot of talent and work. You know, I do believe that you have to be born with talent in this business, but then at that point you're still one of many, and then it's whoever puts in the sweat—that's who really is distinguished.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it really comes down to how bad do you want it, and. uh... The the same way that there's mentors on both sides, I wanted to ask you a double question about that. One of them being, I, I recently heard you on Burt Kreischer's podcast, and he talked about how important the state was to him. And I think he actually even said to the point, like if he had a girl come over and she didn't think the state was funny, he would like kick her out of his room. And I was like, I get that. Like that's exactly how we were. It was that's, that is the greatest compliment, I guess. <laughs> but it was our test, like the old uh, you know, this the movie when they the, the door test, was, oh, did he hit the door? But Um, having said that he said that he would have never gotten into comedy if you didn't sit down and encourage him to go for it and do it. And I think that that's such an important thing that I I have some friends that I, you know, being young and stupid and probably a little bit jealous when they first told me like, Hey, I'm going to be a rock star. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, and you, I don't know, for some reason, maybe it's human nature, but I think overall people tend to, to kind of shit on that a little bit. Whereas you did the opposite and you you encourage him, which I've always tried to do since then, or be the person who, if somebody wants to do something, I want to be remembered as the person who supported them and believed in them because that's what I would want in return for me. yeah. But I also look at it as you you have to be a little bit realistic of like, okay, you want to be an actor, you want to be a comedian, you want to be a musician, you want to be a real estate investor. You absolutely can do this. But keep in mind that, you know, there's going to be bad days. It's going to be hard work. You're going to have to have some ups and downs and stick with it. There might be bad years. The bad years. Yeah. I mean, so how do you, when somebody comes up to you like that and they want your opinion on getting into the business, how do you frame it to be supportive, but not blow sunshine up their ass about how it's just going to be so great and such an easy path without writing that front fine line of discouraging them?
0: I do. You know, I, I mean, you kind of said it already in the question. Like I, I, I will often say to people, always try it, you know, take, take a chance. If you want to take a chance, you should. Cause I remember being, I remember talking to my girlfriend in high school when we were doing theater together and she was like, always pick arts if it's on your list. Like if if you want to, if you're thinking about it, do it, do it now. Why not? You know, like, it's like, how could you say no? And I just somehow that inspired me always. And, um, you know, I would never say if someone's like, I really want to try being an actor. I'd say, yes, try it. Here's here's what you could do. But But then say, you know, you're walking into a thing where if you don't already have You know, a lot of if you don't work super hard, have a lot of patience and a lot of stomach for rejection and willing to also play the lottery, uh, then maybe it's not the right thing for you. You know, if you're looking for security, safety or someone to pat you on the head, then there's other businesses to get into. Um, And then, of course, I do meet people who, you know, especially comedy in particular, I really do think there's a certain chip in your brain that you have to be born with you can't really learn to be funny. I don't think you can hone your sense of humor and learn how to bring it out more and learn all the tools and skills over a lifetime, which I'm still learning very much, you know, but uh, there are people who I just don't think are very funny. And (laughs) if I meet those, you know, some people I get to know and I meet them and I don't think it, but you know, sometimes I'm wrong. So I I never want to just say anything definitively, to anybody about anything. I learned that when you have children, you know, When my wife at the time was pregnant with our kids, God, did I get so much advice from everyone on earth about what to do, what not to do. And I realized, take it all in, but everyone's got a different point of view and a different filter. And you got to make your own choices.
2: A hundred percent agree with
0: that. And was there people
2: on your side when you were going through this, I know you said your girlfriend at the time was one of them, but people that specifically inspired you or gave you a pep talk to make you feel good about going down the path that you went down?
0: Well I had a I guess somewhat unique situation of being in the states so there was a group of 11 of us that we were all together the same age peers working together and we were truly our each other's mentors and inspirations much more than anybody above us or you know and so I learned so much just by watching my friends and us figuring stuff out together and then when and else, and sometimes when things you know things it was often very hard and very stressful and I would get upset if I wasn't picked to be this. And do I not have any talent? How do I get through this? How do I get my scripts chosen? And sometimes I, Michael Black would be like, look, you know, it's hard, it's hard. You just got to keep going. You know, and it was an interesting bubble that we all grew up together in as teenagers and into our twenties where we were each other's teachers. So talking about
2: that, one of the things that I've been through in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years is, well, t- two things really. One of them being, I have finally accepted the fact that things happen the way they're supposed to, but they also happen when they're supposed to. And the other being, I've always thought initially that role models were supposed to be people that teach you what you're supposed to do, but I'm also learning a lot of, some of my biggest lessons have been knowing what not to do or how not to act or how not to treat people. And you guys starting out that you're all basically so green in the industry all together at the same time not really having anybody to, it didn't seem like anybody really stood out in that group as a leader. And I've gotten a very mixed and completely all over the board reaction, sorry, from all the the cast members about what their memories or interpretations was of of that kind of Lord of the Flies environment there. How was that for you? And what personal and professional um, lessons did you take to really carry you through life that you learned from working in that group at the state? If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. You can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nickandnick.com links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today.
0: Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I, I don't know if you're familiar that there. There's this oral history book that came out about the state. It's fascinating to read. Eleven different accounts of some of the same events. That I don't think anyone's lying, but the memories are so wildly different, and I think that's just a testament to what memory is like. But um, it was a weird time where we didn't know anything about anything, and we were walking into a professional TV environment. But in retrospect, I realize our superiors also didn't know much, and we had a very cocky attitude, and we we had a pretty much just like a you know, screw you attitude towards MTV and any authority or anyone we were working for. And it was pretty ballsy and nothing I would ever do now. <laughs> but I think that it served us because I think the, these relatively young executives we were working for were like, oh, I guess these guys must know what they're talking about. Um, and we would just say, no way, we're not doing that. Or You know, and it, and it helped us shape who we were at that young age. You know, I think Along the way, we hurt some people's feelings and we unnecessarily caused some trouble that we didn't need to and nothing crazy, nothing terrible. But I think that over the years, I've learned a lot about us, particularly that it's it's just so much easier just to be nice. And we've always were intrinsically nice kind of too. But I see so many people that sabotage their own careers or their own projects just by being jerks and there's just no reason it just seems like it's, it takes almost no effort just to stop and take a second and be nice to people and i think that that alone will take you quite a distance
2: i agree and i you know i do think that that initially being young takes practice i i've had somebody my my business partner nicole there's things that i think i nailed it and i'm like did you see that and she'll pull me over the next day and say look you know you you were in you were kind of a dick and that person wasn't happy and you really and you know, learning a lot of those lessons, I've had to really step back and and put yourself in the other person's shoes and not fire off. Um, I think have helped me hugely in this profession. Where if I would have just reacted with the text message or the thing that I initially wanted to say, it was like, no. Five minutes later, I'm like, man, I really am happy I didn't do that because I feel completely yeah. different three minutes after. Like, and I would have felt like you, you can never take that back. It's always it's, better to have the emotion. always a,
0: a good lesson personally and professionally to take a breath and then and then react to things instead of just you know. Yeah, and I, I have learned that you know we all make mistakes all the time, but I, I think that's a good way to think about it. So, on the other part, I was saying
2: that about things happening the way they're supposed to, when they're supposed to. Um, I, I actually haven't had any of your other um the state cast members talk about what happened when initially you were going to do a special, like, I think it was for CBS. We or, did do that, yeah, and then and then but MTV had actually made you an offer to stay, and, and things kind of fell apart at bad timing. It, little bit into what happened.
0: We had these. We had these two guys who are our managers. Neither of whom were really managers, but they were kind of producer guys who friends who wanted to be involved with us, and they were great. But they were uh, they were really excited about us, like going big, big, big. And we had these agents, and basically, in getting into our like fourth, fifth season in MTV, they said, "Okay, keep going with us. Here's a nice offer: more episodes, more budget." Da da da. And we or court, instead courted offers from networks to because at the time going from cable to a network was a big jump up and 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 so we made this weird deal with the late night team at CBS that started though with a primetime special, was supposed to be a series of primetime specials. And the truth is, you know, in retrospect, I think we all agree it would have been better to stay at MTV and be a long, a longer running show like T and Peel or whatever that would keep building an audience. Um, But instead, we went to CBS, which was in every way, just a terrible fit. There's a great article in Details Mm -hmm. Magazine, I think it's on my website that tells the whole story. And so we really crashed and burned and nobody watched the show. And it was it was a good special, I think, but it was just the wrong network at the time. So that's, that was basically the beginning and the end of the group, because that went so poorly. And then after that, we tried, we did write a book that came out and we recorded an album that came out. But Uh, our efforts and then going on to making a new TV show or a movie never came together. And then eventually a subgroup of the state broke off and did this show, Viva Variety at Comedy Central. And that sort of sealed the fate for that era of the group. So I remember when Viva Variety
2: came out and I've read a bunch of things and listened to a bunch of articles since then. And what I gathered, I I could be wrong, but what I gathered from it was it almost sounded like some of you thought that there was a, a pact of like, we're only going to do things together. And then when people variety came out, there was some mixed feelings on, on what had happened. And, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because back to, you know, things really happen the way they're supposed to. In, in retrospect, I mean, 11 of you always working together for the next 30 years on everything in the same, it, I mean, it really sounds impossible when you yeah, think. Of no, it never,
0: there was no chance. I mean, the, the truth is, yeah, we were those of us who were not included in the Viva Variety thing were very upset, uh, naturally, you know, and because it was, it was pretty clear that we weren't going to then also do the next state series at the same time, you know, it was, it was too similar of a thing, and you know, it just wasn't. This was the next thing from the state group, as far as we thought it, sorry, as far as the way we viewed it. So yeah, we were. There was there was a lot of fight, fighting or you know people being upset, hurt feelings around that. But yes, if they hadn't done that. The likelihood that the eleven of us would have stuck together for much longer was very little, anyway. So yes, it all worked out the way it should have, and we ended up doing the Stella show, which was another three of us doing that, and then we did everything else we've done since then, and we've as as I said, we've continued to be friends and and like family and working together ever since.
2: I think it's amazing the way you guys have continued to work together, and and that's why you know again I I'm sure. You know, on the business side of stuff, I have guys all the time that they're, they're heartbroken that a real estate deal falls through. And then you find out two months later, like what a nightmare it actually would have been. And you're like, you know what, thank God that that didn't happen because now I have this other opportunity and I'm still yeah. friends with this guy. So I love that you guys were able to keep that through. Um, is there something that you would attribute to the fact that you guys are all able to work so well together for so long? Because that's something that I found very hard to find just in, in, in the business world. People that have the same work ethic and the same integrity and the same drive, collectively, like finding reliable people. When you find somebody reliable that you can work well with, and you don't have to constantly worry about what they're doing, is just such a blessing that you always want to keep them around. Is that sort of the way you guys have within your group?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of. I think there's a lot of luck involved for sure in that we all found each other. But I think there was a real, there was a selection, a, a natural selection thing that happened in college. Where, first of all, you're picking all from people who traveled to New York from wherever they were to go to college, undergrad, to be in the arts, you know, and to be the, the everyone in the group was either uh, film students or theater students. So there's a certain kind of person that seeks that out. And then among that, it was the people who wanted to be part of this comedy troupe that showed up for a, a meeting or a, you know, a session to do it. And then there were a lot of people that were in the group in the very early stages that fell away, uh, came and went. And the group that solidified as the 11 members of the state later in college uh, was a group of people that all had a similar comedic sensibility and a similar work ethic and a similar point of view on wanting to do it. And so I think and, and we learned from and influenced each other in that way, too. So by the time we got out of college into the real world, we had a pretty unified way of, of working.
2: I mean it works. I, anytime I see anybody that's from the state, I'm oh, like there's the other one. There's and if they're not on camera, one or two of you are always behind the scenes doing some writing or directing, or yeah. I think that's uh, I'm just I, I like that flavor. I like the stuff that you guys put out there
0: and I'm I'm always a
2: big fan of it.
0: I, I remember our friends or people we would meet in New York at the time were like, you know, we love your show on MTV, but like what do you do all day? Because you know, it can't be that much work. And I just don't think anyone realized just how twenty-four seven how much work we put into making those episodes, you know? Yeah, you know, and another
2: thing that I, I've learned over the last few years, I, I grew up with, um, I used to hang out with Amy Schumer a lot when we were growing up. And uh, one of my other friends actually was one of Kevin Allison's improv students. And I have a, a couple of friends that have gotten into comedy, some of them better than others. But the thing that I found was the constant was a lot of them weren't really funny so much when you were just hanging out and dialogue talking, but they were all some of the most intelligent people I have ever met. And I've learned that a lot of the people that are doing comedic stuff are, are just so smart and intelligent. And I never realized being younger, even some of those like basic fart joke things have so much behind them. And it's all that. And I remember she did um, an interview and they were asking her about the show and she said the same thing, like the amount of hours and work that go into each skit yeah. is just incredible, you know, and, um, and you guys have done that with multiple parts. So asking on that question between writing and directing and producing and acting what do you prefer? What's the most rewarding for you? What 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 would be your preference if you had to pick one to stick with?
0: I mean, they really are all parts of the same process for me, and they're all, you know they're all different tools in the toolbox. And so I've always felt it's like you know asking a carpenter, what do you prefer, sawing or gluing? You know, and it's like no, it's all part of doing the job, um, and every aspect of it. You know, you're talking about the the fart joke, like one frame difference in the edit. Or one different angle on it, or you know, one different contextual syllable around it, and then it goes from not funny to funny. And so, to me, what I've always loved so much is to be involved in the process from beginning to end. But to give you an answer to your question, I, you know, I, I've I've certainly I think I've gotten the most recognition from directing, I suppose, uh, and I've probably got that as a, my most marketable skill. So if I had to. Not do anything else and just do one thing, I guess I would do that, although it's a really hard job, which is really time consuming, um, but you kind of get to do all the jobs as, within the directing label anyway. even uh, you know just talking
2: about Fart show uh, medical police, the scene when they're walking through the club when everybody has to hear things on. Love I love that so funny. I was just walking around my house laughing. I, was just, I don't know it's funny, like at the time it's like you said that there's a way to, to do it that it's still funny, and that
0: was like perfect. I love that just for people who. Don't know. It's a nightclub scene in Latvia. And it's one of those disco headphone things where everyone, the music's only on headphones. And so when our characters walk in, they realize because there's no music playing and everyone's dancing, there's everyone is farting <laughs> constantly. It's a very funny show. It's on
2: uh, it's on Netflix right now. If anybody wants to check it out, it's a spinoff of children's hospital, correct?
0: Yeah. Medical please. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah. I really like it. Now also touching on um, what you said about the, the going through adversity and having the ups and downs, in a business that there's a lot of rejection, what are some things you do to keep yourself positive and motivated and not let those, those downs get you too
0: low? I think I just part of it is always looking forward to the next thing and like and being busy with things that I care about that are outside of work or outside of I mean, both outside of this particular project and outside of work. So that if uh, we work really and, and it happens all the time. It's and also and also just recognition that it's part of the job. So I'll work on a big proposal or a pitch or a script or a treatment or something for months and months longer. And then, you know, gets all the way to a certain point and then falls apart and it's over, it's gone and rejected. And, you know, of course you're bummed sometimes, but I I really do look at it like, okay, that's part of, part of what we do. That's part of the price of admission moving on. And I've also got these three things that I'm also working on. And I've also got my kids and my piano playing and tennis or whatever, you know, and I just, I try not to let my emotions get uh, caught up in the ups and downs of the business and my own stature. You know, you could go crazy being like, uh, you know, am I at the same level that I was five years ago? And like, uh, how am I compared to this person, that person? It's, it's a losing game in total. So I just don't do it.
2: Yeah, the social comparison, especially these days, like you were saying earlier about social media, how there's a lot of good things that come from it, but there's also a lot of negative things that come from it. That's just been a, an internal struggle that I see a lot of people have. Oh, this guy just got a role. This guy just landed a deal. And I think it's human nature to start to, if you don't have something going on at that point, to almost get down to yourself. And I have to tell myself, like, shut up, t- turn the phone down, get your ass back to work. You know, so just that yeah. insecurity and internal dialogue, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, again, people see all the highlights. They don't see all the projects that, that, that may not have gotten approved or that haven't gone there yet. Oh, yeah. You know, touching on that with the, the way technology has changed, where you touched on earlier that going from cable to network was like the big thing. Now everybody's kind of going the other way with things coming out like Quibi and now there's Netflix and Amazon Prime and there's all these different apps that are bringing back those shows. Is it igniting some fire or some projects that you might've had prior that maybe were shelved that you're saying, well, now they actually would be a great fit here. I they can get a home here or, you know, is it is bringing yeah, some light? Yeah,
0: there is. There, I mean, there's, there's sometimes you pull something out of the drawer that didn't work out the other way. And I've been lucky that most of the things that I've really put a lot of effort into have gotten made in some way. Often it's like super low budget or very tiny and nobody saw it, but I've, I just, I focus on trying to do things that will get done even if it's, I do them myself, you know? And so, but there have been some things. There's, there's a, you know, a screenplay that Ken Marino and I wrote that we're thinking about doing as a podcast instead. And, you know, there's always those, and a great idea can be a great idea, but there also, for example, right after Wet Hot American Summer, Michael Schalter and I wrote a script for a studio that got shelved and put in turnaround and ten years later we finally got it made on our own. So I'm always if I love something, I I don't forget about it.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Now the I don't remember exactly which where I heard you say it, but you were talking about sometimes having um almost like a jealousy of people that have the stability in their own job of like, you know. There's almost that day gym in the back of your head of like, well, what if I did have a nine to five? And it must be nice to just, and I deal with that sometimes when things are going crazy and the deals aren't working. And you're like, man, if this was a normal job at 5.15, I come home and I don't think about work again until Monday at 9 a.m. But then you you land a deal or you land a role or something happens that I'm like, man, what, what am I crazy? But do you still go through that? And, and how do you, how do you deal with that? Cause I think that probably sounds nuts. Cause everybody obviously that has that is always thinking of that. They want to do what you do, but there's a yeah. lot of unknowns. And that can get
0: very stressful when you're waiting, you know, you're, you, you eat what you kill in both of our businesses. I mean, exactly. And it, it, there is that ongoing stress of like, I'm only going to make as much as my next job brings in and, you know, to, to be in this constant sort of freelance, you know, okay, great. I just got made money in the first three months of the year. Now I got to figure out what's going to happen next. And so, but I just, I'm used to it now. I think I don't think about it so much like that anymore. And I know that Nine to five jobs, even there's very few like nine to five happy jobs. You make a good living and come home. Like, that, that doesn't really exist exactly. And I know that in reality I do like the variety and I like that, you know, some days I wake up and I'm like, oh, I have nothing to do today. I'm gonna go do something weird. And and other <laughs> days I work super hard. And I sometimes wish um just as a parent, I had a little more of a set routine so that I could schedule okay, we're gonna take a week vacation here and we're gonna I'm gonna pick up from school there. And but uh I think overall I'm pretty okay with my life.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It looks like you're doing great, man. I, again, a big fan of everything you guys have been doing. Um, the last thing I'll ask you before I, I start to wrap it up for you. I appreciate your time. I just don't want to take up your whole sure, day. Sure. Um, How do you focus on what to juggle? Because I know it's been a constant struggle for me and most of the people I have on suffer with the same thing if they get that shiny toy syndrome. But to me, I never know what's going to go all the way through. So it's, it's hard not to pay attention because this one might pay off and then this one might fall apart and this deal might go through and this guy might back out. And with your projects, have you had people that are like, stop trying to write this thing, finish producing this thing or stop? You know what I mean? Is how do you figure it out? Because I, I think you're in a similar boat like that, that you know maybe this isn't going to get picked up. So you have to keep working on this other thing. And Is that hard not being able to really focus on one thing from start to
0: finish? Yes, that is the most hardest thing in my life that you are touching on the thing that's my biggest stress level is managing my time and attention in the right ways and knowing, you know, trying to look in the 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 aerial view and try to understand that this project that's maybe longer term and not as immediately rewarding is probably something I should be putting some time into versus this thing that's like right now and easier or whatever. And every project is some Different uh, combination of elements and and yeah, it is really hard, and right now, particularly, so we went to quarantine, everything that's shooting shut down, and so I'm not going to get a job like going and directing an episode of a TV show or anything like that. Uh, so everything is developing things, writing things, pitching things, and i'm not as happy when i'm just hustling a bunch of random different projects every day, and on a day like today, I literally will probably touch seven or eight different projects in my work day, which is okay, but definitely not my favorite thing. I'm much happier when I'm completely immersed in one thing and spending all day trying to make that one thing great, you know? Well, I'm not happy
2: that you struggle with that, but I'm happy to know I'm not alone <laughs> and that we share no, that. No,
0: I think that I, anybody in this line of work, I assume, you know, and I've, and I've gotten better at things. And I've got systems and I've got ideas of how to do it. And I, but it's definitely tough.
2: And it's, I feel like it's always a work in progress, right? You're oh, well, I got a new system now. And then I have this thing to write down and I'm yeah. always trying to, trying well, to get I've
0: gone thing. down many rabbit holes over the years, <laughs> task management and, oh God,
2: yeah. It, it's actually funny. I'll, I'll bring it full circle, but sometimes it'll be like 1030 at night. And my partner will be like, well, how, what are you doing? Like, what'd you do all day? And I'll be like, man, I sat down to do the project, cut two. It's 1030 at night. Like we always reference that scene in uh, Wanderlust. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If I had to do it again, I wouldn't. The, the cars and the thing. <laughs> and then cut. Don't say cut. What?
0: <laughs> yeah. But I have that too all the time. I literally, I'm like, okay, I sat down. I got to work. Oops, it's dark. What, what, what? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. it is. It is pretty nuts. So that's um, what the,
0: the, my biggest, um, I'll tell you my biggest tool that I love is this Pomodoro method. I don't know if you know this, where you no. take a 25 minute chunk you know, it's a series of 25 minute chunk. And during those 25 minutes, you're working on one thing, one task, and everything gets shut off and unplugged for that, for that time. Then you can check your email, whatever, but then, you know, and it helps me to just know that there's nothing will distract me for these short chunks.
2: Yeah. I, I played with that. I didn't know it was called that, but uh, I, I was using this guy, Randy Scotty. He, he wrote this book's empowerment. And he was helping me with that a lot. And he was telling me to do a little bit of that. And the other thing that really helped me was, he would ask me like, hey, what do you have to do today? And i give him like the 15 things that if I didn't do them, the world was going to end. And he'd say, you're not going to get any of them done. If you have more than three priorities, you have no priorities. Right, yeah, I've heard that too. every day. And I was like, okay, cool. And that really helped me just like, can't go to bed so I get these three things done.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I usually look at my r- ridiculous, insane to-do list and then I write on a piece of paper the three things I'm actually going to do today. <laughs> and then the rest is going to wait. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Yeah, we're slowly getting through it, but it's. I've been trying to be more
2: productive with being home and knocking out that list, but it just seems to grow every day. As I'm sure yours is as well. But so uh, I like to call this the the victory lap. It's basically like the last few questions before I let you go, and the the first can't wait
0: <laughs> for the victory lap, not to go.
2: Oh, I was like ah, either either way, I understand. I'm okay with it.
0: The um, but the first question is, what's your favorite sketch from the state? Well, the one that comes to mind when people ask me that is is the taco mailman sketch, <laughs> uh, because it just I have great I have fond memories of writing it with Michael Black and Kevin Allison as fast as it, it took as long as the sketch goes for us to write it. We just <laughs> were like, Ugh. and um, similar, we also shot it in about half an hour and just by ourselves with the camera. And it turned out to be like one of the sort of funny little perfect gem of a sketch. And I've always really enjoyed it. Um, but there's so many that I really love. The Pope's A Visit is one of them. And the uh, the Cannonball Run credit roll one was one of my favorites. But I don't think I've sat and watched all of it uh, ever, you know? And, and so, but whenever sometimes I see or reminded of someone of one of those sketches, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was really awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I've made this, this reference a couple of times, but I really think of you guys as, as the reference point, everybody says it's it's degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. You can tie anybody and anything two or three degrees to somebody from the state. I mean, what you guys have been Uh, at this point. Yeah, probably. It's pretty incredible. And it, it sticks out faster than I think anybody. If I see one of you guys or I hear your voices, like I was just actually watching a futile and stupid gesture um, right in my hotel when we were coming on. And the second Thomas Lennon's, I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. Go on. And like you start. So when's the next guy from the stake going to pop up? And, and it's cool. And this has been a real, I know you can't see your own point, but this has been a really cool movie too that I, I'd like to, to touch on through. But um, next two quick questions before we get to that. Next one is what's the worst job you've ever had prior to getting into entertainment?
0: I, I grew up as a privileged Jew in Shaker Heights. Um, and I never had a job that was truly not in entertainment, but I had jobs like being a magician uh, at age 12 and going around to um, different parties. And then when I was a little older in my teens, I was a DJ and I would do, you know, play records at uh, dances and um, weird events for 12-step programs and stuff like that. But I I would say my worst and then when I got to New York, and then I, then I did interning like at the local TV station and I did a lot of grunt work there. And then by the time I got to New York, I was doing a lot of interning and PA work, but I never did work outside of the industry. And I was very privileged about that. So I never, I did not wait tables or anything, but I, the worst job I had was when I was working as a PA at a VH1 and I was treated quite poorly. And I spent a lot of days like standing out in the pouring rain, waiting all day, for them to shoot something inside while I'm guarding the van and not allow, you know, there's no phone to play with or anything. And I was, <laughs> it was just like um, a lot of sort of miserable, cold, weird times uh, doing that. I, I have to be honest, I've never had a terrible job and uh, I'm very lucky about that. That's awesome. I'd love to hear that. Okay, last one is knowing what you know now.
2: If you had a time machine and you could go back in time, what would you tell a younger you?
0: I'll stay at MTV. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's an interesting but very difficult question for me because there's so many sliding doors. Anything could have been, there could have been other choices that could have led other ways, but who, who can say? You know, I, was, uh, I felt a lot of times that I was pinching myself in my younger years because I'm like, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that happened. So I just I don't know I'm good maybe I'll uh, I'll I'll tell your uh, audience that I'll think about it and I'll I'll tweet if I if I come up with a good answer.
2: Fair enough, that's totally fair. Um, my I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the band Taking Back Sunday or Straight Light Run, but my friend Sean is um he's a bass player for them and he was like, man, you ever need a fill in bassist for your Instagram stuff? He's oh yeah. And yeah, they're, uh, they're they've been around probably I think they just did a 20 year anniversary, but um yeah, they're send, they're,
0: send me his info. I'm always looking for people.
2: Awesome, awesome.
0: Um, so, what's next for
2: David Wayne? Um, wh- how can people find your Social media stuff? What projects you have? I know you got a few shows right now on Netflix that I'm actually watching all of them.
0: Yeah, well, the, right now, uh, the newest stuff on Netflix is um, Medical Police and the movie from last year, uh, Futile and Stupid Gesture. And then um, I'm semi active on Instagram and YouTube and stuff, but you can always find whatever the latest thing is on David davidwayne.com, W A I N. I recently did this thing for Peacock, which was a completely quarantine produced musical original musical number uh, called King Lear. Uh, again, you can see that on my website. Um, that was probably the most recent like public facing thing other than these music videos I've been doing every couple of weeks.
2: Those are really enjoyable. Those I mean, again, all the stuff you're doing the, with the pictures and all this yeah. stuff yeah, I think is really cool. You're, you have one of the most creative
0: and diverse Instagram accounts. It's really fun to watch. But I spend most of my day working on, future things that you'll hear about in a year or whatever. You know. Fair enough. Well,
2: again, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I've been a big fan of you and all the stuff you guys have done over the years. And it's been really exciting for me to be able to sit down and talk to you guys. And that all really kicked off with the Zoom with the State, which I think was amazing. Um, JC actually gave a link that I have on, on my side as well. If somebody wants to get the shirt that I believe. Oh, my good.
0: Shirt- yeah.
2: And, um, and get the early access to the Zoom recording. Um, Anything else you'd like to plug before we let you go? Thank you for
0: having me. This is probably the best real estate podcast I've been a guest on. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate
0: it. Uh, No, I just uh, thank you. This is great. I'm I'm glad to speak, hopefully get to connect with, uh, you know, some people that are listening to this that wouldn't normally talk to me. So it's good.
2: I love that. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are going to check out your stuff if they haven't already and they're going to get a good laugh out of it. You have been making me laugh for decades and decades and decades, and I really appreciate it. It's been really an awesome time being able to tell you. I'm hoping you stay safe, your family stay safe, and you guys make it out of this quarantine. I look forward to seeing all the stuff you do in the future.
0: You too, Nick. Take care. Have a great day.